Welcome to the Good Friends and a Glass of Wine podcast. On this show, we take a light-hearted approach to learning about wine amongst friends. Hope you can join us for a glass or two. It is great to have you here for the second episode of the podcast. Tonight, we are tasting Grenache Ben wines. As always, the wines are listed in the show description text and also on the show notes. There will also be a handy glossary included in the show notes for any wine-related terms mentioned in these episodes. So before we move on, let's take a look back at the wines we tried on our first episode, and we'll look at any feedback that's been received since then. So for this, let's bring in our regular buddy, Stephen, to give us his opinion. So hello, Stephen. It's great to have you back. Thanks, Sarah. We tried two Cab Savs, a French and an Argentinian wine. So I personally found that my idea that I had about these being meal-based wines was definitely true. So the French Ardèche Classique was something that really accompanied like a roast dinner, but I found the Argentinian was just a bit too overpowering. It was sort of losing its complexity very quickly. It was like it was turning and I shared the wine with some of my family. I did get feedback from one of them that they actually thought it was gone off. So not a great (laughs) review on that from our side, but what did you find? I yeah, I drank the rest of the French and I cooked the Argentinian. Yeah. I do remember there being a, quite a large amount of sediment yeah. at the bottom. Yeah, I of, had that as well. Of the bottle, French one was more drinkable mm-hmm. after it was aerated and yeah, and it kind of settled. Yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 for sure. But the the Argentinian had a bit of a punch. I because I was trying to look up what does like you know corked or oaked or something like that mm-hmm. mean. Mm-hmm. To the taste like it wasn't acidic yeah or it wasn't um i suppose pungent would be the other one but yeah. um yeah i i would say e- either maybe the containment because again i suppose this is imported from argentinian yeah. so <laughs> it's come a distance it could it might have sat in the port a bit too long yeah. <laughs> you know i actually had um and i haven't said this to you yet i had an argentinian wine since then i had a malbec which is obviously their big right. one it was so nice it was so lovely. It was called Trevento. It, it comes from the Mendoza region, which is like the main like wine growing region in Argentina, Mendoza. as we found out. It was a it was a really young wine. Like it was a 2021 vintage, but it was like lovely color, really nice aroma. The tannins actually seemed very settled. It was just a lovely wine. And it was like 1050 yeah. for the bottle. I would go back and have that again any day. It was a really lovely wine. So I'm so glad I've had another Argentinian because I have to say after having our our one from the first episode, I was like, mm, I don't know if these ones are for me, but it was just obviously <laughs> that bottle wasn't the one for me. Great to get the feedback anyway. And as I said in the first episode, if we have any thoughts or any feedback that people want to share as we go through, absolutely feel free to share them on our, our Instagram or our Twitter. Let's move on now and we'll introduce our other good friend for this episode, which is my lovely friend of many years, Jackie, who is joining us all the way from Sydney, Australia. Hello, Jackie. Hello. Good morning from over here. <laughs> good morning. Good evening. Good night. <laughs> we are so delighted to have you on board for this episode. That's a boat joke. <laughs> I got it. I got it. (laughs) Thank you. I am currently on a boat. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Jackie and I have had several wine related escapades over the years and our friendship has been very strong, even though we live on opposite sides of the world. Jackie, I know that you do like wine because we have shared bottles in the past, but do tell us about your relationship with it. How do you get on with wine? 
I definitely love wine. Like wine is my, it wasn't always, but I guess growing up, so I actually was born and grew up for a lot of my life in South Africa, which is obviously a wine region. And when we moved to Ireland when I was 12, my dad actually was importing wine from South Africa for about a year or so. Oh, yeah. um, and I don't know if you remember that, Sarah, but we used Just to have when boxes you said it. of yeah. wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> we used yeah. to have boxes of wine in the hallway at home. Yeah. And obviously at that age, I wasn't drinking it myself. But a couple mm. of years later, my sister and I would actually steal that wine. Oh, wow. Drink, and we would butcher it with like Coke, you know, that that mix. Like it was yeah, just, I know. I mean, my dad would cry if he if he knew. And I'm sure he must have noticed that bottles were missing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, that was my kind of introduction to wine, but not mm-hmm. really appreciating it. And then I was more of a white wine drinker. Mm-hmm. for until probably like mid 20s and now I'm definitely more of like a red like I love a really good glass of Shiraz. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah great so you're you're actually going to do really well with our wines tonight seeing as we have one from either side we have a white and a red when you're picking wines is there a variety is there a type of wine that you would go back to time and again or there is actually a bottle over here that it's like my go-to bottle which is mm-hmm. called Little Creatures and it's an Australian oh, yeah. wine and I know it's, what, yeah. it's about Mm-hmm. You do? It's yeah. That's my go-to. I go for the Shiraz or they do do a Grenache as well. And they've actually just come out with a new like organic range. Nice. And I have become a bit of an organic snob recently. Mm-hmm. And the only reason for that was it doesn't give me a headache the next day. Yeah. And I find yeah. with some reds, like especially like um Italian reds, like Chianti, I get a really bad headache the next day. Whereas mm. with organic wines, I don't get that. So that's kind of why I've become more of an organic snob. It's funny you said little creatures. I remember that when I was in Australia visiting and meeting you in the last few years. Um, my uncles have a band called Little Creatures. So it really stood out <laughs> to me. <laughs> Shout out to Little Creatures. They're really good. Um, well, the reason I actually picked it up was I hate choosing wine. Like I just, mm-hmm. if, if you're going out for dinner or something and it, you, it's like the pressure on you. Mm-hmm. And I picked it because it had, it's a really unique bottle. It's a bit kind of squat bottle and yeah. it's got a wombat on it. And the yeah. wombat stood yeah. out for me and I was like, ah, let's go for yeah. this. And it was the first yeah. time that I picked a bottle based on just the label when it's actually been really good. And yeah. that was like maybe three or four years ago. And now it's mm-hmm. still my favorite. So. Oh, that's good. Stephen and Jackie, let's dive into the Grenache blend wines that we're having on this show. But before we look at the wine regions and the chosen bottles, are you interested in taking a short look at blended wines? Absolutely. Sure. So as we mentioned in the first episode, a blended wine is a mix of grapes. Wine blending originated with old world wines, where blending was done for practical reasons. To give some context on this practice, here's some really insightful info that I got from an article titled which is better, single varietal or blended wine. Historically, farmers often replaced dead vines in vineyards with other varietals. And as time went by, vineyards would be planted with a few varietals and farmers often didn't know which was which. They harvested all the grapes at the same time and fermented them together. So the resulting wine was always a blend. This was called a field blend because the different grapes were already blended in vineyards before they were turned into wine. In Bordeaux, blending was like insurance. Merlot was used to soften the aggressive tannin of Cabernet Sauvignon. But more importantly, these two grape varieties have different ripening times. Cabernet Sauvignon ripens late. So in cooler years, when Cabernet Sauvignon could not properly ripen, winemakers still had Merlot to make the wine. Obviously, the blend changed every year and the vintage variations were significant. So as time has gone on, blending has been done based on a more flavor centric approach rather than the historical practical approach. 
expert winemakers take variations of grapes and they blend them in ways that should bring out the best of the flavors selected. Single varietals, on the other hand, are focused on the expression of one variety and they may be considered a more pure form of wine. In my opinion, both styles offer interesting contrasts and possibilities that are worth examining. Something to bear in mind when we're looking at blended wines is that old world wines have regulations in place that limit the blending possibilities. However, in the new world, there are no regulations leading to all sorts of concoctions. As I read up about blending wines, I've realized this is really, it's a huge topic. I'm sure we will touch on it in the future, but for now, I'm going to link to some great articles that I found that discuss the history and some popular blends. Most Grenache wines are blends and our wines tonight are no exception. The Grenache grape originates from the Aragon region in northeastern Spain, where, as we discussed previously, it's called Garnazza, but it takes its most known role in the southern Rhone Valley, which, of course, we discussed in our last episode in relation to our French Cab Sav. Most French Grenache wines from the Rhone are blended with Syrah and more Vedra grapes, like the famous and aforementioned Chateauneuf de Pape and also Côte de Rhone. Grenache is made from a purple grape that comes from a spiced fruit family. Color-wise, it goes from a partial to a moderate color, varying from pink to red. Our first wine is a 2020 vintage, which is an excellent vintage for this region. Lichian Catalan Blanc is made from a Grenache Blanc and a Roussan grape. The Roussan grape is a white grape that originates from the Rhone. However, this wine is from the Languedoc-Roussillon region, a region that is at the very south of France and features many appellations. It is known for producing loads of varieties and it produces grapes that are also very popular in the Rhone. Comparisons are drawn between this area and the New World as there is a lot of innovation coming from it in terms of flavor combinations. I actually can't find any information about who produces Le Chien Catalan, but our second second wine is our first Australian wine. Unlike our first wine, this is a red wine. So Australian Grenache wines that are composed of the GMS blend are done in the Rhone style of Grenache wines. So I'm interested to see how similar or different these two wines are. So this wine is an older vintage than what we've had so far. It's a 2017 and it's produced in the Barossa Valley by the Schild family. The Barossa Valley is northeast of Adelaide in south of Australia. The other major Australian wine regions are in New South Wales and Victoria. Tonight, we actually have an extra bonus wine featuring in our lineup as Jackie is tasting a 2020 Chateau Marie Viognier Grenache Blanc due to the fact that it's not always that easy to source old world wines in Australia. And seemingly it's made a lot more tricky when one is only purchasing a bottle (laughs) rather than a case. But Jackie has a wine that is also from the Languedoc Roussillon region. And this blend is also made from a Grenache Blanc grape, but instead of being mixed with a Roussan grape, it's blended with a Viognier grape, which is most grown in the Rhone Valley. I've seen this wine on a few occasions in the shops here, so I think it's actually quite accessible in Ireland. On their website, I found the following info about their land. So the terroir with a very gentle slope and sun-drenched south-facing orientation is made up of a mixture of schist, sandstone, quartz, marble and limestone that has been present for more than 50 million years. I thought that was really incredible to think about, you know, that there's just been so much time, so many environmental changes that would have impacted the land where this wine has been grown. So have either of you had experience of drinking Grenache wines previously? 
I mean, not consciously, could have been slipped into some wedding wines in the past. <laughs> I can never be too sure. How about you, Jackie? I have, and I'd like Grenache wine, but I haven't had the blends before that I know of. Yes, I'm not sure about them either, whether I've had them or not. I have a feeling maybe I have had them when I was in Australia, but it's like yourself, Stephen, it's something I think I'm new to. So I like the fact that I don't have any, you know, preconceptions around this. So let's dive in and try them. So going with what we learned on the last episode, for now, I'm going to try and mostly focus on the sniff and the sip when we try our wines. Let's kick off with our first wine, which is the old world French wine, Le Chien Catalan or Chateau Marie for Jackie. So Stephen and Jackie and all our lovely listeners, please go ahead with tasting our first wine. Cheers. Do we not uh, swivel it around like a washing machine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got my nose in there first. I forgot my step. (laughs) My amateurness. I mean, I want to talk about the label for this bottle. Yeah. Do you like it? It's brilliant. Mm. Like, first of all, the wine is called Spanish Dogs. Yeah, it is. And they have a cat um, labelled wine as well. I noticed when I was looking up Mm. their range. The smell is lovely on that, I have to Mm. say. And it's so nice having uh, white wine now as a contrast from our, our reds we've had so far. I've got to say, I was a bit worried about drinking this early in the morning, but this is a really easy wine to drink. Oh, yeah. No. It's like, I'm not good it's with time really, zones, but I, isn't it like two days in the future? <laughs> it's two days in the future and about four o'clock in the morning. No. <laughs> it's that champagne breakfast and all. I was wondering, would would this remind you of college drinking so early in the morning? But at that point, I wouldn't have gone to bed. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. more more natural. Uh, Yes, (laughs) because when you said that to me earlier, Stephen, I was like, but when you've woken up in the morning, why would you drink? That's how old I am. I like literally didn't register. (laughs) What are you thinking of this so far anyway? Very dry. No, I may have ruined it by eating some grapes earlier. Last episode, I may have ruined it by using a jam jar. <laughs> this episode, I may have ruined it. Ruined what else it. can you do to ruin it? <laughs> I had some antifreeze earlier. Absolved <laughs> <laughs> my taste buds. <laughs> what are you thinking, Jackie? Well, now I'm as I'm tasting a different a, a different wine, but I'm guessing yeah. it's very similar. Yeah. Um, I I really like it. Like I find mm-hmm. sometimes with white wine, there's a little bit too much of a bite to it, like it's too acidic. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one's very smooth to drink. Mm-hmm. Like it's actually quite like refreshing. And like I said, yeah. even though yeah. you know I wouldn't be drinking wine normally at this time, it's actually it's it's nice. I could actually finish that wine. Yeah. Oh, we've yeah. unlocked something dangerous here. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> As you mentioned there, obviously we're, we're having separate ones, but I think there's enough similarities in this that we're going to be having something somewhat similar. Mm. The Le Chien Catalan, anyway, the one that we're having, I am loving it. It's like my like optimum white wine. And I was not expecting mm. that at all, to be honest. I was reading up about it and I was going, I can't find anything about the producer. It's not an expensive yeah, wine. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's, it's on the lower end of the scale for Irish pricing. It's gorgeous. It's like, yeah. it's, it's Fresh, light. Yeah. A slight sparkle to it, not much, mm. not overkill. Yeah. It's sweet, but it's slightly dry. It's oh, it's gorgeous. Like I'm mm. glad I found that one. That's really been a very, yeah. very lovely wine. Mm. Very lovely wine. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, I don't really drink white wine anymore, mm. but that is definitely something that I would consider buying. It's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think we're onto serious winners here. Like this red wine that we're about to have better seriously stack up. Yeah. <laughs> this has been a serious, <laughs> great start. Like, you know. Okay. So I guess we'll move on to our second wine, the Australian Shield Estate GMS. What do you think? I like it. I mean, it is a, it's a contrast to the white wine. But it's still got that smooth. I mean, it's definitely a red. It's a lot kind of fuller than white wine, but it's um, mm-hmm. I like it. It's fruity. Like I thought, this is what they mean when they say leather. Like you think leather is the censure. Smoke, yeah. like it is a very smoke. smoky. Yeah. Smoky, yeah. Yeah. smoky yeah. yeah, like a smoky cheese. Actually, it's quite a strong taste. It's very oaky. Okay, this is a 2017. This is aged in oak barrels for some time. This is a higher price point. This is about. Uh, 22 euros i think in irish pricing so we're looking at about double the price of our first bottle like these still aren't obviously like massively expensive wines because we're trying to keep it you know somewhat Mm. budget friendly but um if you look at the color as well i thought the color is quite distinct Mm. it's it's so much darker but lighter at the edges yeah yeah It, it like compared to just kind of your standard pinky red that we had last week this is just yeah um, it's very dark you're right Stephen. like if yeah. you put it up to the light you actually you actually yeah. can't really see through yeah. the middle it is. just the it outside is. of it yeah it's a very dark wine you're right that's as dark as gold again that's down to the aging i think mm. because it's been it's been sitting for some time this one for me it's got a strong taste and i don't know i'm not sure if i love it do you know it might just not be for my palate i don't think it's a bad wine though I think it's just, mm, I'm just yeah. not sure. And I think because that first wine, the white wine was actually such a hit for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This isn't rating up as well. As well, the, the white wine is so much fresher and so much on the sweeter end. What I do really like about this, and I don't know if you've noticed this, Stephen, because we've done the first Cab Sav episode together. The tannins on this for me are really resolved. Like I'm not getting the dryness in the mouth. So it's definitely low yeah. on scale and tannins. And that for me is hmm. much preferable. So I really like that. Like mm. that's again, I think that's down to the aging. You know, they've this has sat there for yeah. a while. So that that's something I've realized from already, you know, just doing these couple of episodes. I like it. I think I could I can't it, it would be definitely a nighttime drink. I wouldn't be drinking this morning. Yeah. <laughs> it is a meal. Like it, it, Yeah, it's, it's heavy. It's um, a whole meal. <laughs> yeah, it's heavy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I yeah, I would I would like it, but I I don't think, yeah, I definitely couldn't drink a bottle, but I could enjoy a nice glass of this. Cool. Well, that's good. And I like the fact that we're having different opinions on that. Yeah, I think label-wise, the red doesn't doesn't take it for me. It's It takes three people to hold a, a pitchfork. It's just... <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think the, the label's very appealing at all. It's not something... No. If I was just choosing a wine based on the label, I would walk past this one. Yeah. yeah. It sort of actually... looks like it's just been printed on a home printer as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. And, like, their, their wines are, like, you know, they're not, like, as I said, they're not a really low price point. You know, they have stuff that's a lot more than this. But I, I, I'm, I'm the same yeah. as you. I'm not... I mean, I can see the motif they're going for. Like, it's a family-owned estate and there's three generations there yeah. but uh yeah I, I i want i want pictures of animals on on my wine bottles you like an animal yeah 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 that's funny <laughs> yeah. um actually jackie you had brought up a very interesting point when we were kind of preparing and getting ready for the show around how to serve the wines and whether we should chill the white wines so i did do a bit of background research into this um because mm-hmm. i just found it like pretty interesting because i know some people you know 
white wine they like chilling some people say that you shouldn't chill it for tasting but temperature actually does play a big role in it it either mutes or it enhances the flavor of the wine um so with white wine because it's more acidic chilling it does actually help that so it lifts the aromas and the acidity but if it's too cold then it dulls those flavors um so with your fuller bodied whites like chardonnay they're actually best served at like 10 to 12 degrees whereas your lighter fruitier wines are best at like 7 to 10 degrees which is about Mm -hmm. two hours in the fridge before serving Mm -hmm. um which i found really interesting so with the white wine we tasted tonight they actually recommend 10 to 12 degrees so Mm -hmm. that's on the notes for my particular um the bottle that I tried Mm -hmm. um whereas with red wines because the structure of red is like your tannins um that's prefers like a warm like warmer temperatures yeah but if it's too warm then it brings out more of like an alcoholic kind of flavor to it but if it's too cold it then dulls those so Mm. I thought it was really interesting actually that you can put reds in the fridge or you should yeah. put reds in the fridge before drinking I yeah. get I get depends on where you are in the world and how yeah. warm the weather is there but mm-hmm. so your lighter bodied reds you would put in the fridge for about 90 minutes before drinking whereas mm. your fully bodied reds like your Shiraz's would be 45 minutes oh wow okay drinking. that's really good because I was reading in different like obviously you're getting different opinions I read something and they were saying ideally you'd put in the reds for like five or ten minutes just to give the aromas a pop before mm. you'd have them yeah so yeah and like I wouldn't like a red to be any bit chilled and I like that's down to taste like you were saying some people will love that I wouldn't I want a red at like room temperature really you know with the reds it's between 13 to 18 degrees so your lighter red the 13 going up to 18 degrees for your heavier Mm -hmm. reds so I guess that does make sense because depending on your room temperature like here the room temperature would be 30 degrees yeah so it would make sense that you would then pop it in the fridge that Um, totally makes sense that would be yeah 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 yeah. like the the temperature in my house is probably about 18 degrees on average so yeah of course perfect for red wine while we're tasting our wines a bit more let's do our segment of this episode so on this particular segment of the episode we're going to start learning about the language we can use to describe wine This is a vast subject, like many wine-related topics, so it isn't a deep dive, but hopefully we'll all learn some really good starting points anyway. I have an excellent book called Wine, a Tasting Course by Marnie Old. She advised focusing on direct terms that describe primary traits like colour, sweetness and strength. She also advises using terms that convey less bias and are objective. So terms like smooth, rustic, robust, hollow, vanilla. And now I'm saying that, I'm getting vanilla actually from the red. Are you picking up on that? I would have to. No, I would agree. So when you're doing a wine tasting, some obvious things to look for, which could also be useful when you're starting to describe the wines in objective terms, include the color. So of course, we've got white, red or pink. The color depth, pale, moderate or dark. And then in terms of taste, you could look out for sweetness. So that could be described as dry, lightly sweet or fully sweet. Acidity could then be described as low acid, tangy or tart. This one I'd feel I need to learn a bit more about. I'm not sure that I picked that up necessarily when I'm doing a wine tasting myself. You know, I think I need that pointed out to me. But then on smell, you could describe the fruit intensity as mild, flavorful or bold. And the oak presence can be described in terms of whether it is not present, it's mild or it's strong. Finally, in terms of the feel of the wine when you're actually tasting it, you could describe it as light, midweight or heavy. 
In the case of reds only, the tannins can be described as silky, velvety, or leathery. So tannins are naturally occurring in various parts of grapes. They give wine structure and texture. The tannins that are contained in certain grapes are higher than others. For example, Capsav has high tannins. So of course, that would explain why we had such a strong feeling of dryness on our episode one, Stephen. The tannins were very present in those. This was also possibly due to the fact that they were younger wines. So the tannins didn't really have time to resolve. So out of the terms that I've just described in this segment was there anything that sort of stood out to you with these wines that you would use to describe them now i i, I think the red uh, like to me it it has aged it's quite smooth but i would put it towards the the mid-tier of of flavors like it's not tart i would say it's tangy mm. i wouldn't say low acid i think if if for me when it's sitting mm. um i can feel like you know you can feel the, the alcohol Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't put it as no uh, low acid. Put it as um, we say tangy. Are you enjoying it more as you're drinking it? Oh yeah, absolutely. And yeah. it's, um, it is very flavorful. It is, yeah. I agree with you on that. Yeah, I like these terms because they're very simple, and they're yeah. very like definable terms that we could yeah. come up with ourselves. So I think this is a really nice way to work with describing them. Great. So I want to ask a few questions of our special guest for tonight. So Jackie, over to you. Can you tell us a wine-based fact? I can. And I don't know if this is common fact or if this is just something that I was quite surprised at. But I didn't realise that even though Australia is one of the considered one of the younger wine producers, I guess, compared to Europe, it actually has some of the oldest vines in the world. Um, And that's due to a pest called phylloxera, which is a tiny aphid-like insect that eats the roots of vines. And it destroyed many um, of Europe's established vineyards in the 1800s. But prior to that, some of those vines were actually sent over to Australia. So they were already being grown in Australia. Mm -hmm. And even though that phylloxera did actually impact Australia as well, because of the size of Australia and the the vineyards being spread so far apart, as well as strict um, biosecurity laws, it didn't actually affect as many vineyards as it did in Europe. Wow. That's super interesting. Awesome. On to our next question of the evening. Can you share a memorable occasion where wine featured? I can. And obviously there's been a lot of memorable occasions where wine is featured, but I think the one that stands out to me the most is when I was backpacking in Australia Mm -hmm. and I'd spent a year of basically living off nothing and drinking goon, which um, Mm -hmm. if anyone's been backpacking in Australia, it's basically boxed wine or cask wine and you get about for eight dollars you get about five to six um four to five liters of it oh, wow. so <laughs> yeah but it's it's just it's full of crap like it's yeah. not good yeah, yeah um and i then for the last month or the last six weeks that i was in australia i actually traveled up the west coast of australia with a friend and we went to or margaret river and did some wine tasting and it yeah. was like you know wine tasting we didn't actually buy any wine it was free but it was just so good to like have proper wine and just oh we just it was amazing and at the end of our trip our last week we decided to like splash on a bottle but we were in this like mango region so we decided to buy like mango wine which was quite like a sweet like a dessert wine but we were so I mean it only cost us about 20 dollars but at that time 
twenty dollars was yeah a yeah. lot of oh, money. I know. I know. Yeah. So we um we ended up <laughs> we were camping at the time, like living out of a van, and we were sitting on our little chairs with a fly net, a massive fly net draped over the two of us because there were so many flies, and like every time you opened your mouth, they would go for your mouth and your eyes and everything. And we were sitting there with our mango wine, and we just felt so sophisticated. Yeah. And- and yeah that's I really remember that it was like red dirt and it was just like it was just a very Australian kind of picture Um, but it was really it was amazing it was an amazing moment (laughs) and I remember that like even now and that was about 12 years ago yeah so yeah a really vivid memory like yeah 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 oh that's nice yeah I love those kinds of memories especially ones like that where you have I actually really do think like it's more about the people that you're having those experiences with than the wine. Yeah. Like you will remember exactly. that moment because of that person who was with you and the setting. And the wine is just like a nice, I don't know, like decoration to that, you know? And sometimes you yeah, will, yeah. it's a beautiful, beautiful wine, but more often than not, it's about that, that memory. So that's so lovely. Great. So set the scene. If you could drink your favorite glass of wine anywhere in the world, where would that be with whom and why? So I, whenever I think of wine, and I do feel like, to me, I associate food with wine. I do like having mm. wine with a meal. I would actually go for somewhere in the south of France, mm. surrounded by vineyards. Yeah. And I would I would be having a nice glass of, I think, actually white mm. with a meal with mm. Anthony Bourdain. Because oh. I just really love the way that he talks about food I love his conversation awesome. I've watched Parts Unknown about twice and I just love every episode of it so I think yeah unfortunately obviously he's not with us anymore but yeah. that would be who I would love to have a glass of wine with well that's it it's it's your fantasy scenario so there you go you and answering all your questions that you have that sounds fantastic that was great thank you for your answers i really enjoyed that so we're gonna wrap up now on the next episode we have something very festive planned in that we'll be trying out sparkling wines just in time to ring in the festive season we're going to try out a french champagne brut called duval lirois and a spanish cava called barcinu belle époque so don your party hats throw on your feather boa And let's get ready for our festive party. Cheers, everyone.